Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Luke's English Podcast is made possible thanks to kind donations from my listeners and support from my sponsors. And today I'd like to tell you about Spoken. This is a learning English system that puts an English coach in your pocket. With Spoken, you can get private English lessons through your favorite messaging apps like WeChat, Line, WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, and more. Their English learning content is designed specifically to meet your needs as a learner of English. It's ideal for people who need to improve their English for work, travel, or exams. And it's very convenient because you basically just do the tasks in your phone at your own pace. And check this out. You can sign up for a free 60-minute private one-to-one lesson with a trained native-speaking instructor, which includes a free assessment of your current English skills. Let me just say that again in case you missed it. You can get a free 60-minute one-to-one lesson, which includes a free assessment of your current English skills. Spoken are also offering discounts to listeners of my podcast across all of their courses. To qualify for all of this stuff, you need to use my URL, which is getspoken.com slash LEP, getspoken.com slash LEP, or click a Spoken logo on my website. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to a new episode of Luke's English Podcast. This episode features another conversation with one of my friends for you to listen to as part of your learning English diet. And yes, let's imagine that learning English is a bit like having a diet plan. But instead of limiting your intake like you do with a food diet, uh, with this English diet, the plan is just to consume as much English as possible and really enjoy it. Just binge on English as much as you like. Yum, 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 yum. Okay? So, yes, here is some more natural English conversation for you to indulge in at your leisure. The friend I'm talking to in this episode is my mate Moz who has been on the podcast a couple of times before. You can find all of his episodes in the archive. Just search for Moz. That's M-O-Z. The long-term listeners will know Moz, but if you're fairly new around here, here's a two-minute summary of what you need to know about him, and I think this is going to take no more than two minutes, this little summary. So, I met Moz, whose real name is actually Mike, or in fact Michael J. Buchanan Dunn, but... uh, I always call him Moz because that's his nickname to me. I met him first uh, doing stand-up comedy back when I was living in London a few years ago. He lives on a canal boat, spending most of his time in London, where there is a canal network that crosses the city. Moz gives guided walking tours around parts of central London, especially Soho. The theme of these walking tours is murder. 
and Moz takes groups of visitors to different locations and then describes real murders that happened in those places. The tour includes stories of serial killers, crimes of passion and mysteries that have never been solved. Quite a lot of my listeners have actually taken his tour when visiting London, and you can do it too if you're in town. Just go to murdermiletours.com to get the details and to book a tour. It's a really different way to explore parts of central London with a local person, and it's much more interesting than the normal boring tourist walks, uh, because it's all about murder, isn't it? And it's got a five-star rating on TripAdvisor, which is not bad. Um, Moz also has his own podcast, which is called the Murder Mile True Crime Podcast, in which he describes in plenty of detail the stories that he tells briefly on his walking tours, and also more. There are more stories in the podcast that you don't get on the tours. He started the podcast just seven months ago, and since then it's gone from strength to strength. It got a nomination in this year's British Podcast Award in the true crime category. So Moz is something of a specialist when it comes to describing the stories of true crimes in London. His stories are painstakingly researched using court and police records from the National Archives and Moz is a well-experienced and enthusiastic storyteller. And it's the storytelling that I'm interested in here as much as anything else, because stories can be really great resources for learning English, especially when the storyteller is enthusiastic and the content of the story is gripping. These stories help to draw you in, they make you focus on the details, and they help you to just get more English into your ears, which is so important as we know. Well, Moz is certainly keen to describe the events in his stories, and you have to agree that there is something fascinating about the subject of murder, right? I mean, there's something fascinating about it. Of course, it's horrible and tragic, especially for the victims and their families. These are often appalling crimes. But at the same time, it's hard not to wonder about the motivations of murderers, the lives that they led the conditions in which it could be possible for one person to take the life of another. It's hard not to sort of wonder about these things. This is why crime and mystery novels, TV shows and documentaries are so popular. Apparently, we just can't get enough of this kind of thing. So although their subject matter is dark and quite explicit, I think that these stories are compelling and well-told And that is reason enough for me to present them to you in this episode. Now, as I usually say when Moz comes onto this podcast and talks about murder, I think I should warn you here. Moz's accounts of these crimes often contain some very graphic and explicit descriptions of some truly horrible acts of violence and moments of horror. So if you're sensitive to this kind of thing, if you don't like blood and violent imagery, if you're squeamish you might want to proceed with caution, okay? If you're playing this with children around, like if you're in the car and the kids are listening, you should probably pick another episode, okay? My episodes are usually aimed at adults anyway, to be honest, but this one in particular is not suitable for children. So that should be clear. If you don't like the gory details, please proceed with caution. If children are present, you should listen to this later when they're not around. Okay, so we're very nearly um, ready to to begin here. Um, At the beginning, 
Uh, you're going to hear Moz's quick report from the British Podcast Awards ceremony, uh, which he attended just a couple of weeks ago. And then he goes on to tell us about some of the murder stories that he's been researching over the last year or so. Okay, so without any further ado, now let's go. Let's listen to Moz and his stories. <laughs> All right. Yep. Let's get started. So, Moz, hello. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Luke, yourself? Very well, thanks too. Just tell me, are you on your boat at the moment? I currently am. I'm on the boat. It's Bank Holiday Monday in the United Kingdom. It's a nice, warm, sunny day. It's about 26 degrees, blue sky, birds are singing, uh, there's the little coot ducks are out uh, nibbling away at algae, I believe it is the word. And, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful day. I'm loving it. <laughs> Some of my listeners are now thinking, wait, the what? The what? Are nibbling at the what? The what? Ah, yes. The coot ducks are nibbling at the algae. Right. Whenever you use words on this podcast, you have to explain them. So go on. <laughs> so uh, a coot is it's smaller than a, a regular duck. It's probably about... Uh, the size of a, like a, a, a size seven shoe. Uh, they're black and they have a little white skull cap on top of their head, which is where the phrase, if, you, if someone is bald, you'll hear the phrase bald as a coot. That's because they have a very slick uh, cap on top of their heads, which ha- makes it easier for them to eat various things when they're diving underwater. Um, and they're tiny little ducks. Uh, and they go around nibbling on algae, normally on the bottom of, of uh, boats. Algae? And that's that's what they eat. Yeah. Uh, so algae is like, um, it's the plant of the water. So it's not really a fungus, but it, it's, uh, yeah, it's more kind of a weed. But all ducks and geese love it. <laughs> yeah, yum, yum, yum. Nice bit of a- algae there. <laughs> um, actually, what's up with you? So you went to the British Podcast Awards ceremony. I didn't. But you were there. How was it? You were very much missed. Yeah. Um, it, it was fantastic. Um, to explain to your li- listeners, it's, it's a very prestigious uh, podcast awards where all different types of podcasters are invited along. They're nominated for very important awards. Uh, it's only the second year it's been running, but it, it's, it's kind of like people like great podcasters like Luke up oh, against oh. big people like the BBC. Yes. So you were nom- really? you, you were nominated in, in one of the categories? Yeah, I was nominated in the uh, Best True Crime Podcast category. Uh, my podcast, Murder Mile True Crime Podcast, has been running for about seven months now. Uh, a podcast every single week. Uh, it's all about murder, all set within Soho. So many of your listeners who uh, have heard our previous episodes and who've been on my walk as well, Thank you to all of you guys. You've been amazing. I I know it's that people who listen to Luke's podcast because they turn up and go, "Hello, Moz." <laughs> <laughs> They're the only people who call me Moz. <laughs> what does everyone else call you? Mike or Michael? Right, because because um, according to all of the publicity and materials for your walks, you're Michael J. Buchanan yes. Dunn. But on my yes. podcast, you're Moz. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm used to. Right. But it was a fantastic award ceremony. It was hosted in uh, a very large theatre in King's Cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of big sponsors, which is very exciting. But uh, so I was in a category against two BBC shows. Right. So obviously they're big and powerful and have got lots of money and uh, 
which you know um, they don't do as many episodes as we do, but they're professionals. And so two BBC shows up against three independent shows like myself. Okay. Um, sadly, Murder Mile didn't win. Oh, I know. Pity. It, it was it was exciting though. Because it was kind of like uh, everyone had said, oh, you're going to win this year. We know it. You're going to win. And I was like, mm, not going to win. Not going to win at all. <laughs> That's what people said to me. They're like, oh, you're definitely going to win this year. Oh, you definitely are going to win. And I was like, well, I'm not sure, considering, again, the competition I'm up against. As we, as we were going through, it was kind of like two BBC shows, three independents, one of whom was last year's winners. Mm. Uh, um, so, so they announced bronze, silver and gold can't kind of in order and they go the bronze winner is they walk among us who were last year's winners and i was sitting next to them and they were like yay because they didn't expect to win yeah but they're, but they, they're happy to be nominated and they turned to me and said oh mike you're gonna win we know it you're going to win so they then they said and the silver award has been won by uh, a bbc show and we went well you know they have to put the bbc in there because they're a big company mm. so and you know professionals and everyone turned to me. There's loads of hands on my shoulders and people going, we know it. You're going to win. You're going to win. We know it. So they say, OK. And the gold winner of the prestigious Best True Crime Podcast Award, the judges have said is, and they do a little description mm. of what the podcast is about. And they said, this is an in- incredibly well-researched podcast uh, based around true crime. Um, the focuses on narrative and storytelling and all of the description was what my podcast is about and everyone was it's you it's you murder mile is gonna win and then they said and the winner is the assassination (laughs) and all all of us just went (laughs) and then we left and went for a drink and that was it Ah, <laughs> uh, well, disappointing. But yes, what an anticlimax when you expected to. Well, you had the suggestion that it might have been you. I was honoured to be nominated and to be up against such prestigious people as well. Mm. So, so for me, actually, I uh, I didn't expect to win, and it's given me a goal for next year to win. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Go for it. You can do it. And also, it was yeah, it was uh, an honour to be there on behalf of luke's english podcast as well that's right you were like my representative at the awards because i couldn't be there during the day i was kind of thinking maybe i should send moz some uh, some maybe i should send him like a speech like an oscars acceptance speech and then and I, and I was thinking well if um if i'd won then surely like the uh the organizers of the podcast awards would have contacted me and asked me to send in some sort of speech or maybe like a little video <laughs> acceptance speech um and yeah. stuff like that and and there was like no zero contact from them i had received an email though like i don't know how long before maybe a week or uh, 14 days uh, before the ceremony they sent an email out saying we just wanted to let you know that um you're really close to being in the top three you know that you're in the you're one of the podcasts that's received some of the most votes so there's a chance that you know you're really in with a chance and that really got my hopes up and i was thinking oh my god i'm gonna i'm gonna make it this is gonna be my year and um and i just thought all i need is just uh, a little extra push and so i then started to kind of uh go into overdrive and get and um uh, hassle my audience 
uh, into <laughs> voting for me. And I was like, if I could just persuade just that portion of my audience who never do anything other than listen to my episodes, all those ninjas who just listen, maybe if, maybe if I can get them to actually vote, then they'll do it. And um, well, in the end, yeah, no, nothing. I was at home refreshing Twitter when the awards were actually happening to see what was going on. And I saw, first of all, that I was in the top 20. So they, they narrowed it down, didn't they, bit by bit? Yes. Right? What happened? So, uh, so your listeners actually did a great job because you weren't in the original top 20. What? Because I, I looked at the original top 20 that they announced about two weeks before. Ah. And, and you weren't in there. So, so when you actually messaged me and said... Uh, I'm in the top 20 nominees. I was like, hmm, that's weird because he's not. But on the night, you were. They did the whole list. And I turned to Ben and Rosie from the They Walk Among Us podcast. And I went, oh, that's my friend Luke. That's Luke's podcast. And that's really exciting. And then they did the, uh, they said, okay, here's all the top 20. And your listeners did a great job. Not only did they get you into the top 20, but in that list is... Big celebrities. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking people like like George Ezra. Right. It's George Ezra and Friends was up there and lots of famous people that I don't know. And when they whittled it down, sorry, to whittle means to... Um, what's it? You know what? Every time, every single time you're on my podcast, we have this phrase to whittle something down. Uh, yes. We've had it twice before. Usually, oh, okay. you're, usually you're whittling down evidence until you get to the core of uh, a case. But in this yes. case, the, uh, they, they whittled down the number of... Uh, of candidates for the award from 20 down to 10 so it means like just you know cutting something down to size let's say usually uh, uh, using a knife on wood but in this case it's uh, just removing candidates from a short list Uh, so they whittled it down then to 10 yes they whittled it down to 10 which is very exciting and then they went okay uh, i think they said that over all of the votes for that uh, there was over 160,000 votes which is really exciting. And oh, they wow. said the top the top three, it was literally a hair's breadth. So there was very few votes between them. Oh, really? On the top three. Um, they didn't announce who the top ten were in order. They just announced the top three. So I'm not too sure where you were, but it was very exciting. But I was in the top ten, which is, um, you know, great as far as I'm concerned. It's just a pity I don't get to put something on my website, you know, like a little medal kind of thing, which is always nice to be able to do, isn't it? Kind of did, to, to show they... people. Mm. did they not send you a um because no because as you're a nominee i can i can send you the thing i've i've got a little thing for websites um yeah but the thing is i wasn't a nominee because the listener's choice category is unique and uh the, the thing about it all the other categories were short lists of nominees like five podcasts in each category but the listener's choice was there were there were no nominees what it was is just like every single podcast that was associated with the uk was available so you to vote for it you went in to their website and you searched for the podcast using their search engine and there were you know hundreds maybe thousands of podcasts in there that that everyone could have voted for so when it was you know whittled down or narrowed down to 10 that was 10 out of you know over a thousand probably yes uh, of the podcast so you know i'm very happy about it and i've and i've talked about it so much on the podcast now that I feel like my audience is like, yeah, 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 move on. So let's move on, shall we? Now, what yes. about what about your podcast then? Um, the last time you were on this show is when uh, you were just launching it. And so seven months later, 
How's it going? Fantastic. Um, obviously, just got the nomination. Very mm-hmm. exciting. Figures are going up very quickly. People are really embracing it because it's it's just like my tour. It's a podcast all based uh, around murders within Soho. So it's all the ones that I can't do on the tour. Mm-hmm. But what it gives me a chance to do is really dive deep into people's lives. So each week I have 30 to 40 minutes where I can intensively research a victim or a murderer's life. Mm-hmm. Whereas on the tour, I, I have like five minutes. Right. So I've just I've just literally done. I think last time I mentioned about the Blackout Ripper, who was mm-hmm. a murderer in the 1940s, so during World War Two, who attacked six women over four days. Okay. Really brutal, horrible murders using knives, a can opener, oh. a candle. Everything he could find around around these ladies' houses, he would attack them and then just leave them where they were. So so someone would find them the next day and see them posed in horrible, horrible poses and all cut up and oh, disgusting. Oh, my goodness. So is this something you've been working on recently then, the Blackout Ripper story? Black, Blackout Ripper finishes this week. It's on the podcast. It's an eight-part series. Uh, I've just edited them together into a five-and-a-half-hour episode. Whoa. <laughs> It's a biggie, but what I've done is I've spent nine months researching this. So, um, if you, any of your listeners can go online, you can type in the Blackout Ripper. Mm-hmm. He was in the Royal Air Force uh, during 1942, and he made full use of the blackout. So this was the um, during World War Two to make sure that German bombers couldn't find specific targets in London. Everyone had to switch their house lights off, close their curtains, shut their doors. If you had a car, you had to either have your headlights off or dimmed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there were special kind of little slits that you put on your headlights, mm-hmm. just so there was no light anywhere. And London was pitch black. And he used that as an opportunity to attack women. What I've done for the first time is with each episode, I've gone into the back history of each victim. Because what I deliberately try to do is, do you know if you read up on Jack the Ripper? The, the famous 1880s East London murderer, who everyone's famous, uh, familiar with. Mm-hmm. If you look at the victims, all you normally get is kind of uh, their name, a date, and a collection of injuries. Mm. And, and for me, I, I, this is what I do with the tour and the podcast, is I say to people, victims are more than just a collection of injuries. They are a whole life. So what I do with each episode, each victim, is I go into their back history and start from the day they were born and tell you everything I know about their life up until the point that they're murdered. Wow. So it gives you an insight into their life. Uh, and I've done the same with the Blackout Ripper. Uh, no one's done this before. This is the first time it's been done. So your listeners, if you type Blackout Ripper online, you'll get his name. You might get his date of birth and a picture, but that's all you'll get. But what I've done is I've gone into his entire back history. Uh, and it's an odd one. He's He comes from a very privileged background. Okay. Uh, his, uh, he had a uh, mum and a dad. They were together. Uh, middle class. Not from a lot of money, but good money. Um, he was well educated. Mm-hmm. But something seems to have gone wrong along the way. And even though he was from the north of England, so he had quite a northern accent, mm-hmm. uh, his mum was a Geordie, which means she comes, came from Newcastle. And his dad was uh, a Yorkshireman, so he had a, a real Yorkshire accent. 
uh, he tried to hide it with a very posh accent so he was always desperately trying to hide who he really was and it, it looks like there was some bullying going on when he was a child but really i won't give too much i won't give too much away because it's in this week's episode why i think he committed all of these murders okay so my, list, my <laughs> listeners have got to uh, check out um well the, probably the whole series of, about the blackouts ripper if uh, if if they want to know more about why he committed these crimes it's a, th- a thank you to all of your listeners by the way those who tune into your podcast and tune into mine as well they, uh, they've really been forwarding me some great positive feedback oh, that's nice. and in in return, what I do is I do a full transcript of each episode as well, so they can listen along and read the transcript as well. That's actually really really useful because you know if you're learning English while listening, it's sometimes vital to be able to actually see the words that are being used so that you can yes. you know just make sure that you know which word it was and see how it's spelled. And it's weird often in in many cases people. Um, when they hear the words, they don't recognise them or they can't notice them. It's only until they see them written down that they kind of go, oh, it's that word. Oh, it's that's what he's saying. Um, so, yeah, that's that can be a really important way for people to sort of connect the written word and the spoken word together, which is great. I'm sure that my listeners are very appreciative of the fact that you've been providing them with transcripts. That's great. It's also useful as well because I, I tend to throw in words that i think everyone knows but then i realize they don't like fr- frippery mm-hmm. I, it like uh, god it's hard to explain that isn't it it's like frippery is like uh accessories but frivolous accessories oh yeah but i kind of throw that into a sentence and it's only when i've recorded it i realize <laughs> hang on most people won't know what frippery is <laughs> can you give me an example sentence with the word frippery in it um so putting you uh, on the spot now yeah. no problem i i was i was going out to the podcast awards wearing my finest suit and frippery <laughs> <laughs> so what would be your frippery then in that case i get i guess it would be nice badges, badges you know, uh, as yeah. i did on the on the night i wore kind of like i was wearing a suit and a t-shirt really but i had a nice big badge that said murder mile and i guess that was my frippery okay so kind of all the adornments and things that you would wear adornment good although it's quite i guess it's a word that no one really uses anymore yes i guess people don't have frippery like they used to do back in the old days these days it's just stuff like um what what would people call it accessories right accoutrement (laughs) accoutrement yeah (laughs) Okay, so uh, the Blackout Ripper is the story you've been working on for this season. You've got yes. a couple of uh, you've got your next season coming up uh, <gasps> later on this year, and you told me that you've got two really decent stories um, to tell in in there. Can you give us like the basic versions? And if my listeners want to know more and all the details, they can tune into the next season that's coming. But can you give us like the the kind of the two stories in a nutshell? Absolutely. So uh, the first one, if you remember in the first season, and I've mentioned this on Luke's fantastic podcast before, about Dennis Nielsen, the serial killer from the 1970s and 1980s, um, who who passed away about two weeks ago. <gasps> right, yeah, he died in prison. He did, yeah. And and his whole thing was he was, uh, he was a gay man growing up... Uh, 1950s 1960s but he he started murdering other gay men during the late 1970s early 1980s um now i'm going to go back to this and discuss his second victim uh because he murdered his first victim by mistake oh really and he thought oh my 
yeah, he was drunk. He he was drunk. He was alone. It was New Year's Eve. He was upset. He saw a young boy who he fancied called Stephen Holmes, mm-hmm. and he was like, "Oh, let's go back to my place, have some drink, have some sex." And then during the night, this is on episode twelve, my last podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, he saw Stephen Holmes and he thought, "You're going to leave me, aren't you? You're going to leave me like ev- like my mum did, like my dad, like all my family." He got paranoid and he strangled Stephen Sinclair, uh, Stephen Holmes to death. No, and then he went what am I going to do? It's like, I've got a dead body in my flat. Yeah. So, um, he hid the body and then he realized, cause it was a homeless boy. No, no one cared. The mm. police didn't come. Families weren't calling. No one cared about this homeless boy. So after, he kept the body for seven months and then he disposed of it. And he thought to himself, okay, I'm going to stop drinking cause drink f- fueled him to, um, it fueled his aggression and his paranoia and made him upset. So he thought, I won't drink and therefore I won't kill. Uh, the problem is he, he started drinking again because he enjoyed it. And he met a 23-year-old um, a Canadian boy called Kenneth Ockenden, who was born in the United Kingdom, but he lived most of his life in Canada. Mm. He'd come over to the United Kingdom for three months to spend some time with his family who lived down in Croydon, uh, which is about 10 miles south of London. Mm-hmm. Um, this was his last day in London. He wanted to see the sights. So Kenneth was walking around London and he popped into a pub called the Princess Louise in High Holborn, mm. which is just outside Soho, kind of near Leicester Square. Mm. In there, as always, he met Dennis Nielsen. Dennis was on best behavior. He was talking to him. Dennis is very clever. He's very um, articulate. He's a good speaker. He's unlike most people you'd meet. He got on well with Kenneth Kenneth, and he said, I'll show you the sights of London if you fancy. So they had a a little tour around London, seeing Buckingham Palace and 10 Downing Street. Then went back to Dennis, Dennis Nielsen's flat, had a couple of drinks, had a nice meal. And then it happened again. Dennis was there. His paranoia kicked in. He was he was like, oh, my God, this this man is going to leave me tomorrow. Tomorrow he's going to go back on his plane to Canada. I'll never see him again. And I love him. So as Kenneth was sitting there li- listening to uh, music on the earphones, Dennis grabbed the cord of the earphones, strangled him with it. And then he thought, oh, God, I've done it again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, me, there I go again, murdering someone. (laughs) We've all done it. But this this was the interesting one. So the first victim, because he was a homeless boy, no one cared. With Kenneth, Kenneth was from a good middle-class family. He was travelling back on a plane the next day to Canada. And his parents were waiting for him. And within a couple of days, Kenneth... Ockenden's picture was all over the news on programs like uh, Crime Watch and Police 5, which are the police programs we have in the United Kingdom Mm -hmm. or had. Mm -hmm. Um, And he thought, God, this is it. I'm going to be caught. And no one caught up with him. How? How how on earth did the police not manage to to track this guy down? I mean, no one's no one saw Kenneth and Dennis together and they couldn't put them together because they'd only just met. Um, but so after a little while, um, Dennis really liked Kenneth. Kenneth was exactly what he was looking for. 
Mm. So um, he bathed him, which was part of his routine. He'd take the body, he'd put it in a bath, he'd wash the body, bathe him, put a fresh pair of socks, pants, and a vest on him. That shows the era. He was he was wearing a vest. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then he got into bed with the corpse of Kenneth Ockenden and curled up with him gave and gave him a little kiss on the cheek and said, good night, Kenneth. Oh, my word. So uh, over the next couple of weeks, uh, while the body was still fresh, this happened during winter. So he'd sometimes hide the body under the floorboards where it was really cold. So the body remained very, very fresh. You say sometimes, sometimes because, because he did this again and again with numerous people, not just with Kevin, right? Mm, yeah. So wow. uh, um, he, in total, this was 15 people in total. Wow. Uh, but sometimes this would happen. He would murder over the summer. And when he would um, remove the bodies from under the floorboards, that was his place of hiding them or he, where he hid them. Yeah. In the summer, they would be hot. They'd have maggots in their eyes, their mouth, oh. their, their bottoms. Uh, I apologize to your listeners. <laughs> I hope you're not eating. Uh, but with Kenneth, because it was so cold, it was a very cold winter. Keeping him underneath the floorboards kept the body cool. It was like... Uh, Dennis's own personal mortuary, his own morgue. Um, And so he'd bring the body back up and he'd go, right, I'm going to have a nice evening in with Kenneth. I'm going to put Kenneth on the armchair next to me on the sofa. I'm going to have dinner and we're going to sit together and watch, watch television. Oh my God. So, so Dennis had a relationship with the corpse, almost like there were, there were two boyfriends. Oh, weird. (laughs) <laughs> did you enjoy that <laughs> well sort of yeah i do i sort of did enjoy it because weirdly i quite like the uh the disgusting you know i quite like disgusting horrible stories like this especially when you realize oh it's true as well it's not even just made up it's all it all actually happened oh my god how it's weird a sad, yeah. it's the sadness of it though is that is yeah. that dennis is it's he's not like most murderers where he's interested in death and dismemberment mm. he's he's just lonely yeah, it's really, really sort just, of just, sad, just, isn't it? He just wants someone to love him. And the fact that with each, oh, all except one victim, almost all of them were young men he found attractive and they were going to leave him for, you know, to go and live their own life. Right. And that's that, that he couldn't take that. It just made him upset. Oh, what a sad story. But also sad as well that, <laughs> that for example, Kenneth's parents were there at the airport waiting for him and he never came back never came out just before christmas as well so he'd been away for three months and the night before he called his dad and said i'm on the flight home tomorrow i'll see you then oh no and they and they never found his body as well because he um dennis dismembered the body he cut it up into pieces um how do you actually know uh what what happened then in in some detail um dennis nielsen never wanted to murder so his first victim as i mentioned entirely murdered by mistake Uh, he was drunk he was upset um so with all of his victims each time dennis kept hoping that he wouldn't murder again he was like please i don't want to murder again and he would um so when he was finally arrested yeah this was after five years of murdering and he'd already murdered 15 young men um when the police arrested him he was so relieved he was like i just want to tell you my 
story now. So if your listeners go online, if you type in Dennis Nielsen, so it's N-I-L-S-E-N, um, type in Dennis Nielsen interview, and you can see loads of footage of Dennis sitting there casually, smoking a cigarette, telling the police just everything. Wow, that's amazing. He, yeah. it, and, and when you listen to his voice, he's got... Uh, a nice Scottish brogue. So it's, it's his voice is it's, do you know that some Scottish accents like say with Glasgow can be a bit harsh because mm-hmm. he was Northeast of Scotland. It's a very soft, subtle voice. And when you listen to his voice, it's very calm and warm and you can understand why homeless young boys looked at this man and thought, yeah, he's like a father figure. He had money. He had a place to live. He bought them food. And also he, he was intelligent Yes. And he's got a nice soft voice as well. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, I guess I'll link a, a video of Dennis speaking uh, on the page for this episode so that my listeners can listen for themselves and hear him giving his own stories then, which is, I guess, where all these details actually came from. Uh, yeah, most of, yeah. Assuming that he was telling the truth. Um, That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, when you do listen to Dennis's... He wrote a uh, a two-volume biography, uh, autobiography of himself, mm-hmm. and it's called uh, it's called the story of a drowning boy, which has never been released, but extracts of it have been released because of um, the Human Rights Act says that anyone who is a murderer can't profit from their crimes. So because Dennis Nielsen has written a book, mm. he can't sell that book. Yeah. Uh, um, and make money off it. Um, but when you listen to him in any interviews, he's what's the word? Eager. He's quite arrogant. Yeah, oh. absolutely. And and arrogant and proud. Yeah, and and he's uh, he knows that he's intelligent, so he doesn't give a very clear description. For for example, there was a gentleman. I I did an episode on this. Uh, the people who survived Dennis Nielsen. So he actually let quite a few of his victims go. Mm. Um, some by mistake. So, for example, Ke- um, Carl Stotter. Mm-hmm. He met Carl Stotter in Soho in a pub. This is where he met most of his victims. Went back to his house, had some food, had some drink, had some sex. This was his routine. He got drunk saw Carl Stutter asleep, got paranoid, thinking this young boy doesn't love me. He's going to leave me the next day. Uh, so we strangled him. And this was, he, Carl Stutter would have been victim 11. Mm. So he'd already done quite a few. Actually, no, he would have been 12. Um, so he'd already done a, a load of other victims. And he thought to himself, okay, uh, he left the body. Oh, he, he took the body into the bathroom because he'd learned his lesson, he got the body and he pushed it underneath the water to make sure it, not only had he strangled it, mm. but he drowned it as well to make sure it was dead. Right. He took the body out of the bath, put it in a chair, and sat there having a smoke of his cigarette, trying to work out what he was going to do with the corpse. Because the body was there, was he going to have sex with it? Was he going to hide it? Was he going to chop it up? He had choices. Dennis had a little dog. It's like a little a rough, not a rough collie, but a collie dog. So a little mongrel dog. Yeah. So not not one breed, but two separate breeds. Mm-hmm. Bleep was the name of the dog. Bleep came over and started licking Carl Stotter's face. 
Mm. And Carl Stotter's fingers were started to twitch. And Dennis looked over and went, oh, oh my God, um, Carl is still alive. He's not dead. And he, all of his guilt just kicked in, all of Dennis Nielsen's guilt. He just went, oh, my God, I need to save him. No longer was he a murderer. Now he had to save this young boy's life. <laughs> so um, over the next two days, he, he dedicated all of his time to saving the life of Carl Stotter. Oh, my God. Two days? He got two days he got him back to health he got him in bed uh recovered him um carl noticed when he recovered carl noticed that he had bruises on his neck and in his head which was pounding because he'd got a horrendous headache and his eyes were all bloodshot and his lips were bloodshot carl looked in the mirror and he saw um a big red mark around his neck and he remembers seeing dennis um well actually no he heard him because dennis was behind him he heard dennis behind him he felt a tightness around his neck and he heard dennis saying keep still keep still like that and that was dennis strangling him but dennis convinced him that carl had a nightmare and they got himself trapped in in the cord of the sleeping bag that he was in oh my goodness and so so uh, the next day uh dennis took uh, Carl back to the train station said it was lovely to see you hope we meet you again uh, and they said goodbye oh what and the guy was like so, yeah yeah I just got my neck caught in a sli- in the cord of a sleeping bag he, yeah the, the guy didn't think oh oh wait he tried to murder me nope it, because because Dennis was such a Carl said that this is where we get a lot of the information from, from because there was literally we reckon there's nine victims who survived three who testified against Dennis in court. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Carl Stutter was the most one of the most important ones. Uh, and he said Dennis was he was clever. He was um, very articulate with the way he spoke. He was unlike any other man that he saw in that pub. Most of them were kind of. Uh, dock workers or factory workers but dennis was a civil servant he worked in a very high profile job he had money he was clever and he just said there's no way in the world that he tried to kill me wow wow in fact a friend a friend of carl stotter's looked at him and said this doesn't look right you have to go to the hospital so they went to the hospital and the, the doctors looked at him and said yeah, the, all of your injuries are consistent with being strangled. My God! So then he realised, whoa, mm. whoa! He tried to kill me. <laughs> yeah, and then he and he spent two days saving my life. What the, What's going on? It's, it's baffling, isn't it? That you, you could have someone who is a a murderer on one hand, and yet is a, a someone who saves lives as well. Yeah, but really. Dennis Dennis was like that. He he was very compassionate he loved <laughs> oddly he loved people he loved animals uh, the, there's not an evil bone in his body but oh, when he was drinking right he was yeah paranoid he couldn't cope with being alone but you know some people listening to this and i'm sure many people in the world uh, <laughs> hearing about dennis nielsen will just you know be thinking but the guy's a monster he doesn't deserve to to even live you know um what was his what um, in the end, when Dennis did get caught by the police and, you know, he admitted to his crimes, what kind of punishment did he receive? Uh, so um, they could only prove that he murdered six men uh, because he'd uh, chop up the bodies and he'd burn them on a bonfire in his back garden. 
and to make sure that because this was daytime and there were loads of houses surrounding his back garden to be honest it wasn't his back garden it was one that he shared with all the flats above him <laughs> a share it was a shared garden and yeah he, is, there were there were four flats in one house and this is where so he, they all shared they all shared the same garden and this is where he burned the the, the cut up uh, bodies of his yeah. victims and no well, one well, noticed he, like for five years well um actually um he would put a large rubber tire so like a car tire on top and burn that so that disguised the smell of rotting flesh because or burning flesh because it has a very uh well, if you've ever cooked pork when yeah. overcooked it it's a very very strong smell uh, but some people were watching one day when he was burning some of the bodies in the garden two little girls from the next garden were looking over the fence watching him making a bonfire <laughs> and and the little girls didn't realize what was going on no nope. no one did no one did at all so he in total so um so they could only convict him of six murders and three attempted murders um because that's all the bodies that he could find uh he was originally sentenced in 19 uh, november 1983 to 25 years in prison uh, which was the maximum offense that you could be charged with uh, around that time some some people will as i've said some people will be thinking that that's not enough for for the murder of six people um yeah i mean i don't you're obviously not an expert on the, the criminal justice system uh yet uh i suppose but i mean you know what what do you think would be the court's justification for giving him what many would say is quite a lenient uh, uh punishment of just 25 years i mean you know for example if he'd survived beyond the length of that sentence he could have walked free after 25 years even after Absolutely. killing after killing six people yeah i mean he he would be walking today he would have been freed what 10 15 years ago um around the 1990s so he would have been in prison for uh around seven or eight years by this point obviously they couldn't charge him for being um what's the word uh, insane mm-hmm. uh, dennis nielsen did not want to go an insanity plea which most murderers do because obviously if you're going to kill someone unless it's a crime of passion where you know someone attacks you or Mm. Uh, for whatever reason uh, with Dennis's case because he's a serial killer he could have gone down the insanity route and said look I'm I'm mad Do you know uh, and therefore they can lock him up for as long as they want but because Dennis knew exactly what he was doing even though he was drunk he said yes I murdered those men this is why I did it um, they could only give him the maximum sentence which was 25 years but a couple of years later um, in the mid 90s Jack Straw, who was then the Home Secretary of uh, Great Britain. Yeah, like the, the sort of basically like the Justice Minister. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, he made the decision that there were quite a few cases out there where 25 years was not enough. Uh, so they, because 25 years to 30 years is kind of like a, a what they call a life sentence, mm-hmm. they decided to implement a whole life sentence, which is there's currently 72 people in the United Kingdom who have a whole life tariff, Mm. which means they will never be released. Yeah. No matter what. They're in there. They'll die in prison kind of thing. As Dennis did about two weeks ago. Um, Apparently he was going in for stomach surgery. He was 72 years old. He'd been in prison for about 34 years. 
Uh, he was at HMP Full Sutton, which is in Yorkshire. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went in for a very routine stomach operation, and he didn't recover. He died two days later. I see. Wow. Mm. Wow, wow. So that was the end of his full, his whole life sentence, as you said. Yeah. Uh, okay. So um, in season three, then, of your podcast, um, you're going to be going into more detail regarding some of Dennis's victims, are you? I think so. Some more of Dennis. Um, uh, some of your listeners, if they like true crime, will know about Dr. Crippen. So Dr. Crippen was a, uh, a murderer. He was meant to have murdered his wife, Cora, in around 1910. Um, but there's a lot of people out there who said he never murdered his wife. So I'm going into that. I will explain to you why Dr. Crippen was innocent and why he was hanged. And yet he shouldn't have been. All oh, right. So Dr. Crippen is considered to be like a famous killer. Mm. But you're arguing that he actually never did it. There's a lot of evidence to suggest. So, so um, just to put it, put it into context for your listeners, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Crippen was a very small man. He had little, he's kind of quite weedy with little glasses. Um, so he really couldn't stab anyone or, you know, commit any horrible crimes because he was quite weak and little. He had a wife called Cora, who was uh, a famous opera singer and actress. She was really big. She was quite a big lady. Mm -hmm. He had found himself a new girlfriend, uh, but he obviously couldn't divorce his wife. Um, He was unsure how to get rid of the relationship. This is where it gets very murky. It's hard to work out what happened next. But Cora, his wife, disappeared. Dr. Crippen and his girlfriend, called Leneve, hopped on a boat to New York. And this was the first time that um, Marconi had developed the um, uh, the telegraph system. Okay. So this is what we're, we're talking like the 19, early 1900s? Yeah, about 1910-ish. Okay. I think it was. Uh, they used the telegraph system to radio the boat, which was revolutionary, the first time it had been used, to say, do you have a man on the boat called uh, Crippen? Or actually, he was under an assumed name, and they went, yes, we think we've got him. And they arrested him in New York, Mm. which is fantastic. They messaged New York in advance. But um, they came back, they checked his house, and they found uh, under the stairs, like buried, the skin of a body and and a little swatch of uh, pajamas. So so like a small small strip of like the... uh, uh, Dr. Crippen's pajamas and they were like oh, here's the body it's just the skin there were no limbs there was no head there were no feet just the skin just the skin as well like the skin had been removed just it was just basically like a decomposing torso but there were no arms you couldn't identify who it was right I see but there, were, there was a famous um, pathologist called Sir Bernard Spilsbury so any of your listeners watch things like CSI like all the forensics programs Mm-hmm. Dr. Bernard Spilsby was, was the father of forensic science. He created a lot of things that we still use today. Um, and what he did was he said, okay, we can't determine who the body is, but there's a scar on the back of the, um, of the body, and it correlates exactly with an appendix scar that Cora Crippen had, his wife. Right. So they went to trial and they said, this is definitely the body of Cora Crippen. Dr. Crippen definitely killed her. 
Um, he was found guilty and he was executed. Wow. Just one problem. A couple of years ago, some pathologists took a sample of that skin and they analysed it. Wait, just a couple of years ago? Sorry. Just a couple of years ago. So they still had it on file, but because the technology had bought up, they checked the... Um, they got a piece of the, the skin, they checked the DNA on it, and they found out it's not a woman. It's a man. Oh. So the body that everyone said in the basement was Cora Crippen wasn't Cora Crippen at all. It was someone else. But no one knows who. who so. Wow. And, and do, do we know what happened to Cora Crippen in the end? That's, that's one of the big mysteries. She, Is everyone... She... Everyone said that she ran away with her boyfriend to America, but there's no proof of that. Wow, just one of those weird mysteries. So, so yeah, so I love that. So I'll be doing a, a bit of that. Also, there's what well, I'll do a very very quick one here. Okay. Um, I'm going to open with this story, which is Mr. Luke. Do you know who Glyndor Michael is? Glyndor Michael. Glyndor Michael. He's he's a Welsh. A Welshman uh, who was... Uh, where's my notes? Uh, so he was born in 1909. Do you recognise the name? Glyndor Michael uh, Glyndor. No, I don't, I don't frankly, know. That's, that's weird because he saved your life. He saved my life? He, he saved your life. Uh, normally I'd remember that if someone had saved my life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, Interestingly, he saved, he saved my life as well. Really? Yeah, is he the inventor? And, and, is he the inventor of the podcast? Oh, <laughs> he's not the inventor of the British Podcast Awards. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not. Is he? Uh, he's he probably is. Uh, he probably saved almost everyone who was listening to this podcast as well. Uh, go on, go on. So, uh, Glyndor Michael, uh, born in 1909, um, came from quite a poor background in Wales. Uh, his father was a coal miner. His mother was a housewife. Um, really had quite a, a poor upbringing, had to go where the money was. His father committed suicide when he was 15 uh, by stabbing himself in the neck because mm. he ran out of money. Mm. Uh, he, he lived with his mum for a little while, but unfortunately his mum passed away when he was 39 years old because he was broke and penniless. Uh, he moved to London. Unfortunately, he had no money. He had lots of mental problems. Um, he found a uh, disused warehouse in King's Cross. On the floor was some bread. He was hungry. We're not too sure whether he knew that the bread was laced with poison, uh, rat poison, but it was. Um, so he ingested it. He ate it. And over two days, he slowly died of, of a very horrible phosphorus poisoning, uh, which basically ate his innards. Uh, he suffered from something called smoking stool, which basically means that any time he had a poo, it was like fire and it would steam as well. Oh, my as God. And his entire innards basically just uh, disintegrated from this horrible, horrible poison. And it took him two days to die. He lapsed into a coma and then he died. And this is the guy who saved my life? He's the guy who saved all of our lives. By, by, by uh, just, you know demonstrating to us that you really shouldn't eat bread that's been laced with rat poison <laughs> i wish it was that simple uh so glindor michael so um he died uh around he died in 1943 and this was a key point in world war Two, where basically all of germany had 
that all the Nazis had basically taken over Europe. Um, they were ready to invade England. Mm-hmm. Everyone was in panic, and we couldn't quite work out how to get all of the Allied troops back into Europe because the Nazis had heavily defended basically all the coasts. Yeah, and there was one way in, and that was through Sicily. But everyone knew that Sicily was the only way that we could get all the troops in. Yeah. So Churchill and all of his clever men knew that they needed to find a way to make the Nazis believe that we weren't going to come into the uh, into Europe via Sicily. They needed to make them think we were coming in via uh, Greece. Mm-hmm. So what they did, this was an idea that was concocted by Ian Fleming, who uh, who obviously wrote all the uh, the James Bond books. He was a spy, wasn't he? Or he worked for the the uh, intelligence services. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so it's one of his ideas that he came up with. So what they did was they got Glyndor Michael, the body of Glyndor Michael. His body was perfect because he'd been poisoned. Mm. You couldn't trace the poison in him, but also his body hadn't been hadn't been injured. You know, he hadn't been blown up. He hadn't been killed in a car crash. Right. So they got his body. They dressed him to look like a a, 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 a marine officer. Yeah. Uh, they gave him all the pr- proper paperwork. They gave him like a wallet with loads of little pieces of uh, bus tickets to make it look real. They put in their love letters. So it made it look like he had a relationship with a nice lady in the United Kingdom. Um, so we all looked official. It was all fake information. Mm. They, sh- they put him on a submarine and took him down to wherever, uh, just off the Spanish coast. Mm-hmm. They dropped the body over the water let it float. He'd been dead for like five months, but they'd kept him in a fridge long enough to make it look like he'd only been in the water for about about three weeks. Oh my God. So his, his, his eyes were sunken into his head and he was rotten and smelling, but it looked about right. And <laughs> oh <my laughs> the body... They were like, fr- yeah, okay, his, his eyes have sunken into his head, he's rotten and smelling, but fuck it, this'll do. <laughs> it's the best we've got. Send it. It's the best we've got. We, we've got nothing left. This is our last chance. It was. It was a clever idea, though, because what they what they didn't want him to look. They wanted him to look like he'd been in the water in the Mediterranean for long enough, following an air crash. Right. But what they'd done, he's got proper military uniform on, and attached to his wrist was a suitcase, like a little attaché case mm-hmm. that a lot of important documents would be held in. Yes. Um, Spanish fisherman called uh, antonio ray found him did what he was meant to do took him to the authorities the spanish authorities got the body mm. and they had to work fast because it was a hot day and he was smelling really bad mm. uh and they got him they looked at him they checked all his paperwork and they went yep this is a british officer uh he died in an air crash they put on his death certificate drowning and they wrote his name uh major major william miller was the name I'd given him. Yeah. But what what the British wanted to do was inside this, um, the attaché case, was a letter. And hidden in, like, the third paragraph of the letter mm. was a little note that basically said, we're going to be invading Europe soon, but yeah. we're going to invade via Greece. Right. And they knew that they could follow it. So they followed it, go all the way up to, up to Hitler. And Hitler got this piece of paper and he was like, oh, that's what's going to happen. They're going to invade by Greece. So he moved all of his um, all of his panzer tanks and his battalions to Greece, away from Sicily. 
which left the door open for the Allied troops to come in. Wow. So that was the first invasion before D-Day, uh, and that was Glyndor Miller. Uh, sorry, uh, Gly- uh, Glyndor Michael. So Glyndor Michael, the homeless man who'd never achieved anything in his life at all, did nothing in life, but in death, he became a hero. Wow. Thanks. That'll be a good one. Thanks, Glyndor. Yeah, no, he's uh, uh, amazing, isn't he? Yeah, that is such an amazing story. That is actually an amazing story. Really, really bizarre and weird and grotesque and yet uh, fascinating and just, yeah, really really good. Nice one. So that's that's going to be probably episode one of the next season, is it? Yes. So uh, what I'll be doing is 20 episodes. I'm going to end with uh, a multi-part episode. So the Blackout Ripper was eight episodes. I'll probably do a three or four part episode on uh dennis nielsen. i've forgotten dennis no nielsen. not not dennis nielsen a uh, 10 rillington place uh john reginald christie so um i'm gonna do he's another murderer i'll i'll explain some other time that's complicated that's <laughs> another story for another time that one mm, yeah okay okay that's brilliant so where can my listeners find all of your stuff then uh i am you can go to itunes uh i've just signed up with acast oh yeah Ooh. so i uh, i will now be there will be adverts on the site so i can make money <gasps> finally because because obviously podcast very few podcasters make money <laughs> I, I i i spend 60 hours a week and i don't make any money off it so finally after a year i can make some money yeah it's but, about yeah, it's about time it's about time really yeah, but you can you can go to iTunes or just type in Murder Mile True Crime Podcast. I'm on pretty much every platform. So that was Moz there, back on the podcast, telling us some of those weird, creepy stories of people killing each other and stuff. But I have to say, he's he's getting very good at telling these stories. He's been working so hard on his podcast, doing all his research and stuff. So I think the research is paying off. The practice is paying off. He's becoming a brilliant storyteller. Um, If you enjoyed this conversation, let me recommend Moz's podcast, just in case you're looking for more stuff to listen to in English. As he just said there, it's available on all the usual platforms where you get your, your podcasts search for murder mile true crime podcast. Uh, Quite a lot of you already listen to his show, of course, which is great. Now, uh, the next episode, the plan is that the next episode is going to also feature Moz and it will include a vocabulary quiz focusing on the language of crime, different nouns and verbs for different types of crime. So vocab hunters, watch out for that one. Um, well done for listening all the way to the end of this episode. As I always say, I know that, you know, uh, it can be difficult to keep up with native level speech, um, you know, if it's not your first language, as I know all too well, when I listen to people speaking French, it can be quite tough. Uh, but you've made it all the way to the end. So well done. Give yourself a pat on the back. It's important to celebrate things when you're learning a language. It really is. It's important to celebrate the little victories. For example, whenever you manage to say something exactly how you wanted to say it, well done, give yourself a pat on the back. Whenever you remember a word that you learnt and you actually use it, well done, little pat on the back there. Whenever you listen to an entire episode of the podcast and you don't stop, even if, for example, there are some moments when you didn't understand everything, if you kept going and you didn't give up, well done, give yourself a pat on the back. It's important to celebrate these little victories because it's all about motivation, you know? Like 
you you should uh, yeah you should celebrate the good things and uh, the mistakes or the problems the errors you should just use them or see them as little opportunities to improve that's the kind of positive uh, frame of mind that you must adopt if you're going to learn um, another language effectively it's something i'm attempting to do with french it's it's like a constant struggle um to 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 stay positive when i mean you know i've been living in france for a, quite a long time it's been more than five years now and my french is not as good as it should be as you may have heard me talk about on the podcast um so you know it's it's really it's really really important to stay positive because if you get stuck in a negative frame of mind if you start feeling bad about your level then that actually is counterproductive it starts to drag you down and there's no way that you can effectively learn language and use it uh, when you think like that so you have to be positive you've got to enjoy the the good moments enjoy the little bits of progress that you make um and you know that's good that's very that's a very healthy attitude so you know nice one for listening all the way to the end here good luck with your english keep it up um leave your comments on the website as usual do join the conversation and practice doing some writing in english by leaving your comments on the website um don't forget to download the luke's english podcast app for convenient access to the entire archive of episodes and some bonus content including loads of phrasal verb episodes and some app only episodes as well that you might not have heard um that's it and then i'll speak to you again on the podcast soon Thanks for being a listener to this podcast. But for now, goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar, and pronunciation teaching from me, and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.